0: Test.com or go to the link on the writingworship.co website.
1: Hey, this is Chrissy. Before we start this episode, I have something important that I want to share with you. I've been working on a worship songwriter mentorship course. I'm so excited to be able to let you know that it's just about ready to come out. You can check it out at ChrissyNordoff.com slash course. You can find more information there. Basically, what the course is, is it's sort of twofold. We address all the basic tools that you need in depth, actually, for writing worship songs. But at the same time, we also address the heart and the posture of heart required to write the best worship songs that you can. We all know that when your heart isn't in the right place, you're just not able to accomplish what the Lord has for you in the best ways. So I'm hoping that this course is a blessing to you. I would love to see you there. And um, it goes well beyond just me, to tell you the truth. We're actually creating a community also around this course. So you'll be able to connect with other co-writers and um, find people just like you with the same heart, same spirit. And actually right now it's available for pre-order. So Uh, Again, the address of where you can find that is com
0: slash course. See you there.
2: Brave Worship, Episode 34.
0: You're listening to the Brave Worship Podcast with Chrissy Nordhoff and Mary Beth Dodd. Brave Worship is all about encouraging women to write, lead, and live worship.
2: We're here with a special guest today, Natalie.
1: Hello, guys. Uh, friend Natalie, <laughs> we've had a fun morning of conversation, or afternoon, I guess.
2: Yep, conversation, macadamia nuts,
1: uh, guacamole, guacamole, and really else? good cheese, peach jelly. <laughs> I love peach that peach jelly. <laughs> jelly. So there's a place called the Peach Truck. Have you heard of that? No. Oh my gosh! Well, you can get it in person. We found it like randomly. My daughter wanted to stop at this peach truck, and um, they have peaches, peach jelly, and pecans. And the peach jelly is on pecans. Uh, believable, Yes. Are also
2: Pe- pecans? Yeah, that's
1: incorrect.
2: <laughs> Did you grow up saying pecans or pecans? Pecans or pecans? It was pecans, pecans. Really?
3: Yes, that sounds that's the Ohio. It's the Ohio way. <laughs>
2: I remember we grew up in Michigan, and I remember thinking people in Indiana and Ohio had the biggest southern accent ever.
3: <laughs> That's true. Because <laughs> we say things like, it's pouring the rain. Oh. Is do you that say. worse? No, okay. my dad did for a long time, but we. You, you broke you say, him of we that? We healed him of that. <laughs> <laughs> do you say milk? No, we say milk. Well, maybe I do. Milk? <laughs> I don't know. Or a pillow? Pillow. <laughs> That's what some people
2: Or call. roof or roof? Roof. Okay.
1: We said roof and roof. root beer.
3: Oh, is that Michigan? Mm-hmm. That's Michigan. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's funny, even though it's not that far away from Ohio. That
3: I know. It's in a couple hundred You miles. cross that line, cross and it. the Buckeyes start rolling in.
1: <laughs> yeah. So our dad loves peaches, and um, I just sent him a box for his birthday, and my mom loves pecans, so it all worked out. Oh, but a truck. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> It works Shout out. out to the Peach Truck We love you, Peach Truck. We're looking for um, affiliates. Not affiliates. Partnerships? <laughs> just free peaches. That's, That's all, all we want. We, want. <laughs> we just want free peaches from you. If and they, we want if
2: they her- had gluten-free peach muffins, that would be... See? It's back to the muffins. There was a
1: couple podcasts ago. I don't know if you heard it, but we, we live called Coffee and Coconuts because... We wondered if they had our muffins, right? Yeah, she they didn't.
3: They didn't have any.
1: No, but I did get some that were frozen recently <sighs> and brought her some.
2: That was a good day.
1: So, we are foodies just a little bit. I like it. Right? Totally. So, what else?
2: Were you saying something else? No. Nope. No, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought we were.
1: I was just talking about food.
2: Okay, I love it. Well, we snagged Natalie. She's in town for our Brave Worship night tonight. Yep. So that's going to be exciting and fun. And we got to meet you, Natalie. How long has it been now? Uh, two,
3: it's been exactly two years. Two years. hmm Yeah. Wow. Yeah, was, we were talking about that, actually, because I came in for one of the nights of worship that you guys did um, for the girls' ride out. Yeah. And it was so cool just to, you know, my whole life being in Ohio and kind of watching uh, mm-hmm. were the worship scene my whole life, to be able to come in and just kind of sit and be part of something and to realize it really is a family, like mm-hmm. what you guys had established, what didn't feel um, exclusive, it felt very invitational, and I think that's what I was drawn to more than anything, was just mm-hmm. this idea that we could all be together and share um and everyone's successes and processes, because we're all yeah. kind of in these processes. Um I was hooked, started coming once a month from there, so...
1: That's so awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, um, can you just share with us a little bit about your history and sort of where you are today, like what you're doing now? So just that whole story of where God's brought you.
3: So we've established, I'm from the Buckeye State, Ohio. So born and raised Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, my dad was a pastor all growing up. um, Mostly small, non-denominational churches off and on, but primarily in the Church of God, which um, here in Tennessee would be affiliated with Lee University, yeah. So, yeah, I grew up in the Church of God um, and really had a dad who was high missional. Um, mm-hmm. We just spent a lot of time in the inner city in prisons and nursing homes, and that's kind of where I started leading worship first was in those little settings where we would get someplace and there would be like an old out-of-tune upright piano mm-hmm. Um Maybe somebody who had a guitar, and because I was this willing, excuse me, eight-year-old, I would just start singing, you know, for the people in their beds. When my dad would give um, communion at nursing homes or at the inner city, they had to listen to worship before they could eat. So I would sing a couple songs, and um, I think it's where I've realized the power of people singing together. So whether we were singing because they had to sing before they could eat, or whether we were singing because we were giving somebody their final communion before they crossed Mm -hmm. over into eternity, it was just Mm -hmm. these moments of just corporate singing that um, began to show me the power of what happens when the local church worships together. Mm -hmm. And I became addicted to this um presence of God, just where He met us wherever we were. So if we were under a bridge handing out blankets or if we were mm. in our church service just normal, He always met us and it never felt different he was just the same. Um, and I wanted to be part of that forever. So I just kept looking for those opportunities. So grew up doing that for a very long time. And then went to, um, a secular college, Miami of Ohio, and got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ there. And there it was worshiping through seasons of just transition and everything. And so even though I didn't expect to end up being a worship leader, if I'm being honest, I kind of thought being a pastor's kid was enough. (laughs) I had served my time in ministry, um, I majored in exercise physiology and kinesiology and went the science route, but could never get away from just what it felt like to be in corporate worship with everyone, and so I never stopped. I was um, bivocational for a long time. I was a phys ed teacher, personal trainer, uh, worked with clients and did some sales, and eventually the Lord reminded me that He had called me for a purpose and kind of reminded me of all of those years of just faithfully serving wherever He asked me to, and I just haven't been able to stop, um, to really escape it. And so now I, um, fast forward, I'm 38 years old, and I'm in Colorado Springs, Colorado at New Life Church as one of the pastors, the worship pastors there. Um, And again, it feels the same. I get to lead worship and be in worship constantly with the church, and Mm -hmm. it's my favorite thing.
1: So, you've it sounds like you've done a lot of ministry like with your family, then basically. Are you still doing ministry with your family?
3: Yeah, it's funny. Um, When we moved, so I've been in Colorado Springs about 18 months, and it was the first time that anybody has left Ohio. So I'm talking grandparents and cousins and aunts. It's very much been, Ohio's been our central spot. So for us to go, I think our whole family knew that the Lord must have been very clear for Mm -hmm. us to move our family thousands of miles away. Um, And so it wasn't very long, maybe four months, that my mom and dad began to feel the Lord drawing them out um, to partner with us at New Life. And so my mom and dad live with us out there now in Colorado Springs. And they serve, my mom's actually on staff at New Life now um, in in a, Role that has been a dream for her to work with children. And my dad works at the local school, but then volunteers at the church. And so, even though he's not the senior pastor and we're not mm-hmm. working in that same mm-hmm. high capacity, um, we're kind of all together. Like, my dad feels, and he'll tell me this, that for years we supported him. Mm-hmm. And now he gets the benefit of supporting us, and that it's a gift to him to be able to watch our girls for us while we do ministry, um, to be able to bring them to the church for us, or for him to be part of the men's ministry, but not actually have a title. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been very freeing for him as a retired pastor to kind of give back to his family after all those years of us doing the same for him. So it's kind of a give and take now, I guess, as we get older. That's
1: cool.
3: Yeah, he said something kind of profound, and I... I didn't know the weight of it until he said it. He looked at me about, I don't know, a year ago and he said, You know, Natalie, you'll always be my daughter. He said, But you know, we're kind of like brothers and sisters in Christ now. Mm -hmm. Like I raised you and you're doing this ministry now, but we're partners. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's exciting because when we get to heaven, that's what it's going to look like. We're going to be partners. And so it just, it's interesting to grow up your whole life. And, be in this pastor's family, and then to become a pastor and to watch how the Lord kind of brings all of it Hmm. together. It's neat. That's cool. That's really cool. So how? um, tell us a little
2: bit about how songwriting has been a part of your journey.
3: Well, I started journaling when I was probably in junior high, and so I would write poems. Um, And I didn't know they were songs. I just thought that they were me kind of crying out to the Lord in these prayers that I would write in poems. Um, and so I have probably 50 that I have in a box and I started putting them to music, um, in college and, um, but I always did it in private. And I, because being 36, we're the first generation that lived pretty much 18 years with technology and 18 years without, you know, we kind of have had both. So we didn't know the power of social media. We didn't know we could share songs on YouTube. We didn't know that we could. Promote ourselves. So most of the songs that I was writing in my early twenties were very private in the church sanctuary where my dad was the pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, sitting next to a grand piano and just re- singing my journals was pretty much what I was doing, um, and I didn't know that people would want to listen to them. Yeah. Ever like, mm-hmm. um, and then I was as I got older, and I would sit in church services. I would feel the Holy Spirit as things were coming to a close with the altar call or if I was at a nursing home or at a prison and I would feel the Lord remind me of one of those songs mm-hmm. and say, This song would be perfect for this moment. And I would think, but nobody knows it. <laughs> you know, nobody knows the song. I haven't I haven't even written it down. And I would just by obedience, just go to the piano and just sing one of those songs that I had just written, you know, maybe a week ago at that piano. And then as technology has improved over time we've started to connect with other writers and so for me what the the best thing that has happened in the last 3 years in particular has been for me to be able to partner with other brothers and sisters in the writing community and in the local church and not just say what is god speaking to me individually mm-hmm. but what is god speaking to the global and the local church and how can we partner together to say it in a way that makes people want to sing it mm-hmm. And I think that has been the biggest gift to me as a writer is not just holding it in anymore, even though those are great moments where we just write for the Lord and we write for ourselves, Um, but for us to be able to come together as a community and say, oh, he's saying the same thing to me, or, oh, he said it that way to you, he said it this way to me, but it's kind of the same thing. And then to sit down with those melody makers and the producers and to hear it come to life and then to hear the church sing it, um, for me, it still feels very private and intimate, even though we're... Um, singing it in a larger scale and it's just still such a gift that the Lord gives us these words and these melodies um, that would put the truth of the gospel on the lips of his people Mm -hmm. and that it would give them a new reality of who he is as he's revealed himself to us. So in the past couple of years, it's gone from me just kind of sitting down and throwing things down to being very strategic, about why I write the things I write and how I write the things I write and spending time in His Word so I write the correct things Mm -hmm. for the church to sing that He would want them to sing. And then getting to be in community with Brave um, and with New Life Worship and to be able to sit down with people that have been doing this a lot longer than me and to learn Mm -hmm. from them has been humbling. And honestly, sometimes I have to pinch myself because when I was 21, this was my greatest dream, Mm -hmm. was to write songs for the church. Um, and And I'm doing it now. And so I just give thanks to the Lord that he saw that dream and I can get to do it.
1: Mm, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, you were part of our um worship songwriter mentorship that we did for a little mm-hmm. while too and it's really cool just to see this group of girls growing together like with the same heart, same culture and mm-hmm. and all that and who knows what's going to come next? It's hard to say. But yeah. um but I've seen ascension put out some of your songs yes yeah yeah a couple there and you have another new one
3: yeah and what's been neat about those is that i mean they've come because they've been part of brave truly um when you get into a a safe place when you get into a community of, of women in particular who i think we have so much to say. I mean, obviously, we're women, so we we like to talk. But when we get to sit in a room and just kind of share what God is doing, songs just naturally are birthed out of that place. And and Brave has created such a safe place for women to sit in a room, share their stories, and then kind of find some common denominators to be able to write from. Yeah. And that's really where most of the songs have started flowing. Out of me has been sitting with fellow sisters and saying, "Oh, yeah, that that sounds familiar." And so, Ascension did. Oh, what a sound! Because you know, Allison Clark was the co-writer on that, and then um, Ascension, <clears throat> Jamie Miley, and Andrew jumped in and joined us. But it was came from a place of, "What is your church like?" When you, if you're trying to write a song to open people up into worship, what do you want to say? And we had like all these common things. Like we just want to hear the sound of the church sing, and that's where, "Oh, what a sound." came from was just envisioning heaven on earth and hearing the sound of the, of the worshipers. And then fire love. Um, we have a mutual friend, Matt Price, um, mm-hmm. who works with us at brave and, and, um, he comes out to Colorado Springs and writes some. And that again was just, let's write one that we can just see the church celebrating to. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in a co-write, it, it just feels so free because you can, if you trust those people right. and, and we do within brave, mm-hmm. yeah. um, really cool things come out of taking risks and it's been fun to just not be so inhibited and just to take risks and ask the Lord, you know, what do you want to do with this?
1: Yeah. So it's huge. I think having a safe community is a big deal, Mm -hmm. you know, and it takes a while sometimes to figure that out. So for those that may be listening, um, that don't have that, do you have any thoughts or advice for them?
3: You know, I think, Um, we can talk a lot, but I think that the greatest thing we can do is model Mm. healthy community. Um, when you come into and I know many of you listening, you may be coming into a new community. Maybe you're starting a new job or you um, are starting as a volunteer on a new team and you might see some things that you would like to see changed or, um, you have ideas or ways that things have worked good for you in the past, but I love, um, when you can walk into a community and observe for a little while and kind of get a feel for what that community is all about, what they, um, value, what their values are, what they, um, hold close. And then as you see some things that you would like to see change, just begin to model what a healthy relationship looks Mm -hmm. like female to female, female to male. Um, I know in this industry, we work with a lot of men Mm -hmm. and, um, there's always that um, kind of finding the balance between being a healthy female leader and also being under submission of those that are in authority to us. I love Lisa Bevere says that men and women were created not to um, have a power struggle, but to have a power union. Mm -hmm. And when we as females step into a culture that might be new or might seem a little bit indifferent, to be able to kind of observe it, take a lot of inventory, and for sometimes that's a six-month observation, which is hard for those of us who are activators on our strength finders because we want to see change right away, but to just kind of sit back, observe, ask the Lord, what, how do you want me to use my gifts in this community, and then begin to model it and demonstrate it women to women, you know, female to male, and I really do believe that as we model it, people begin to see that in us, mm-hmm. and they may not say, like, I see that. But they begin to maybe ask questions of you or ask you to take on certain things. Um, And as you're faithful with that place, I would just believe the Lord gives us more, Mm -hmm. more influence, more um, opportunities, um, and we can learn so much from sitting in those environments and not quitting, not giving up out of frustration, but just waiting Mm. Um, and asking the Lord, just show me when you want me to speak and show me when you want me to move. But until you do, I'm going to just sit right here and be faithful. Mm. Mm -hmm.
2: I love that. How do you see that playing out um, on stage like Mm. in corporate worship in a health, you know, in a healthy situation? Yeah. Ideal, maybe ideal situation.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I feel like the minute that we come to a place where we can prefer other people over ourselves, um, we stop feeling um, this urge to make like um, massive changes quickly, or um, we we stop maybe trying to push something that we think is a really great idea, but may not be time to release it just yet. And so, on a stage environment, for example, who leads what song, and what band member does what, and what. Volunteer does what and what staff person does what. It's so easy um, to want to kind of like manage all of that and try. And I think the word that we could use for a lot of us is control because we want things to be done well. We want excellence. We want um, for people to like what they're hearing and all that stuff. But when we can get onto a platform and in unity prefer one another and then be able to just kind of release what the Lord has given us with open hands, <clears throat> then some of those. Um, things that we would try to control out of just nerves or um, habit kind of fall to the side as we allow other people to to walk and the freedom that they have to use their gift and in their instrument or in their vocal. Um, I do think that Sunday mornings, they're like 1% of what we do as leaders, right? I mean, the whole week leading up to Sunday is really what being a worship pastor and a worship leader is all about. So that Sunday morning is actually an overflow of how we've been treating each other all week. (laughs) So if we get up there Sunday morning and we've been preferring each other all week and submitting to one another all week and loving one another all week, then that team dynamic on Sunday morning, um, I don't feel will feel quite as unsure or uncertain, especially for a a new team member. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, totally. It's just like a I don't know, a glimpse into what's been going on under behind the scenes, under the surface.
3: Yeah, and, and Dr. Pete is our um, Executive Pastor of Worship at New Life, and he always reminds us that our congregation members have not been in these songs all week. They have not been at our team meetings, they have not been at our staff meetings, they haven't been hearing us pray over sets and write songs, and so when, we, when they get to us on Sunday morning, what they're seeing of us as a team is the first representation that they see of us all week. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge responsibility. So if we fe- seem tense, if we seem like we're not in one accord, if we seem off, they don't they don't know anything other than what they're seeing in that moment. Mm-hmm. So that's why that Monday through Saturday is so vital for a team, I believe.
2: Hmm. That's such a good point. And I think it's something that can be easy to miss sometimes, you know, um, especially if you're a team that doesn't practice during the week or that doesn't get together and just go to starbucks you know you miss that piece that community and um you know a lot of people listening they're probably on a team where they might be the only staff person so they have the challenge of creating that within a a volunteer team you know um but i think i still think it's worth it even if it's going out after after rehearsal or getting there early on sunday morning or going to lunch after sunday or whatever that time is but just to create that um that love for each other, you know, and like you were saying, the preference for other people. It's hard to give preference to other people when you don't know those people. Mm-hmm.
3: It's right. and That's true. It is. And, I, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that if you just go into your general church population, whether your church is 50 or 50,000, regardless of what that is, and you start to invite people into community, you would be shocked at how many people are not already invited in. who are coming to church week in and week out, and nobody has ever invited them to coffee. Nobody has ever invited them to audition for something, even though people have heard them sing or they've heard them do something or seen them do something. Because the general consensus is that um, there's enough volunteers in every church. Like, most people just walk in and they think, they don't need me. And the truth is, is that we need everyone. And so being able to invite people into community and to begin to share those core values of the church and the team People will start coming out of the woodwork the minute that they realize that the table's open. Mm. And I think for so many of us worship leaders in particular, because of our personalities, you know, whatever our Enneagram numbers are, whatever that looks like, we can seem kind of like um, almost aloof or kind of creative and mysterious. And we forget that people are waiting to be invited in. And the minute that we open up that table, the floodgates, I mean, you, your teams could triple if they just knew that they were wanted. Um, And so I do think that inviting people to coffee, asking people to come and just have a conversation in your office even um, opens up that door. And the possibilities are endless for the local church if we would begin to do that.
1: Hmm. I've seen that a lot of times um, that way where there's more, especially in this town where there's more people that want to plug in than there is a place for them to plug in. Um, And it's hard because honestly, if they're in the body, like they're in the body for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. There there has to be a place for them um, that no one else can fill. And um, how do you go about necessarily always finding those places? What do you guys do? Well,
3: that's what I loved about Brave when I first came to the girls' write-out. It was that even though not everybody could share a song, because that would be impossible for us to hear 50 songs, you opened the door and you said, come and just be part of the community. And at New Life, one of the things that I do love that we're starting to do is we're starting to just identify individuals that we know. We see something in them. From young all the way to people that have been around for a very long time, and kind of inviting them in to be we don't call it auditions, we call them evaluations, and we sit down in a room with them and just hear their stories, let them play for us, let them sing for us, and we just start having dialogue like, what brought you here? And not just seeing people as whether or not they can play something or sing something, but actually find where they started serving. A lot of people in the local church start serving as a nursery worker or mm. as a janitor, and they just happen to be singing while they're doing it. And so kind of opening it up and saying, what do you do? What brought you here? How long have you been part of the community? And then developing a relationship with them that's not just based off the platform. Yeah. Because the reality of it is, is that 90% of the people that come in and we evaluate or that we audition, and this is globally, I'm pretty sure, are probably not ready to be thrown into a main leadership role on a larger platform smaller churches have a little bit more of that luxury to be able to utilize people at a different level. Um, But we want to give people realistic expectations. We want to love on them and not just to make them feel like they came in and did like an American Idol audition and we're told, (laughs) you're not good enough, right? (laughs) So we don't want that feeling of this pressure. And so what I love that we're doing is um, we help people find out what the next steps are. Mm -hmm. And instead of just saying, oh, you're not good enough. You should go, you know, volunteer and children's. We don't want to get like, just start passing people around, but start finding out what their other options are. Like, Oh, you love admin tasks. Well, why don't you help us with planning center? We could really use some help getting, you know, planning center organized or, Oh, you love children. Well, I know that they need some help with, um, volunteers on Tuesday nights at their rehearsals. You should go and let's get you plugged in helping with children's worship or, Oh, I didn't know that you had a teenager let's get you plugged in volunteering with some of the new life worship that happens at our Mm -hmm. high school level. And it just gives people a place where they have some ownership and they still get to say, I'm part of this. Even if it may not look like what they thought when they came in.
1: And I think part of it is, um, you know, in Corinthians it talks about accepting the gift, like Mm -hmm. accepting your gift. Mm -hmm. Some people see their gift as, as something other than actually the gift they've been given.
3: Yeah.
1: And the actual gift that they've been gi- given, they're not willing to accept. Oh, so good. they're they're chasing after a separate gift, which has actually not been given to them. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And that's tough. Like, mm-hmm. that is tough, because pastorally, you're in a position to say, let's evaluate your gifts. Mm-hmm. Like, let's look at what your strongest gift is. And... And just being the person to redirect and say, this is actually not only your greatest strength, but it's where we need you. Yes. And when those two things line up, that's a connection. It isn't. I think it's probably the hardest part of being a worship pastor.
3: This is what I think separates the worship leader or the singer from the worship pastor. Mm -hmm. Because these hard conversations of sitting across from, from somebody and saying, I think you believe this, but actually... We see this as a hard conversation. And the first time I had it, I was 30 years old. I'll never forget. I had to sit down with a girl who felt like her whole life, this was what she was called to do. And it was so hard because she was not good at it. Mm-hmm. And she sat in my office and she wept. And for the first time in my career as a worship leader, I wept with her. Mm-hmm. And I asked the Lord when she left my office, why? Am I struggling with this so much? Because I've said no to people for 10 years. And I literally heard him say, because you finally know how much I love my church. And when my children hurt, I hurt. And you're hurting right now. So congratulations, you have crossed over from singer (laughs) to pastor. And I felt this release of like, I'm like bawling in my office because I cared enough to cry over her. And I didn't know, I thought I had been become so hardened by being a pastor's kid, that I no longer felt emotions toward the people of God. And actually what it was was that he was transitioning me from pastor's kid to pastor. And suddenly I took on the um, sadness of hers. Like Mm -hmm. I could feel that. And now I feel it even now. Like when I um, watch people go through these processes and we know we can't use them, it Mm -hmm. breaks my heart. But what a gift to be able to sit across from them and to help them find.
1: Well, and honestly, like... You know, it just sort of reminds me of that verse, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So, basically, you're showing them the way that they should go, you Mm -hmm. know? Which, honestly, it's so weird in culture right now, because it's so, like, you can be whatever you want to be. Like, anybody can do it. Like, Mm -hmm. it's sort of a free-for-all thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, you have to look at it from a spiritual standpoint. And I get that. I understand that. But from a spiritual standpoint... The Bible clearly talks about we are giving gifts. It's not something we can attain ourselves. And, and being able to speak that into somebody's life, I mean, it is life-changing for them. And it, and it may be a hard thing at first, but it's, it's always going to end up positive because they're going to end up better, um, happier, um, more fulfilled when they're chasing after the gift that God actually gave to them.
3: Yes. And that's yeah. what I've noticed. The people that I've had to say no to have become very dear friends in some settings yeah. where we've realized that they had this other thing that they could do right. so well and they're like thriving. Yes. Because somebody finally sat across from them and in love yeah. said, I see this in you. And it kind of was like a Timothy. You know Paul-Timothy kind of relationship in a lot of ways with, right. with worship pastors and younger volunteers and people mm-hmm. because you're kind of doing what he says to do, which is to speak life and prophesy over them right. and to speak those words so they won't forget them and they'll hold on to them even when they're having hard days. They know somebody believes in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I, and I love, in Psalm 37, I've been kind of spending some time in there, and I love how he just continues to use words like this, like, trust in the Lord and do good, and dwell in the land. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. He uses words like, commit your ways to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will make uh, your righteous a reward shine like the dawn. Be still before Him. He's using all of these commands, like, commit, trust, wait. And I know that for a lot of our volunteers— they feel like they've been waiting and being still for so long. And then when an opportunity opens up, it's like, they're so excited. Mm -hmm. But even in that process for us to be able to look at them and say, this isn't looking like you think it should, but if you will just trust and be still, you know?
1: And I think even as like leadership, looking at what gifts are actually in front of you, um, and are clearly gifts, you know what I mean? And, and realizing, Hey, we don't, we don't have anywhere for this to plug in and and being willing to innovate and create opportunities mm-hmm. in those ways or maybe you know maybe it's something crazy maybe churches don't normally do that type of ministry or you know i don't know mm-hmm. but i feel like even as far as leadership is concerned that's an awesome trait to have where you're mm-hmm. looking for those gifts realizing even if it's something different We could probably plug this into ministry, and it might not look like every other church. Right. um, But just truly letting that gift live and breathe, I think, is awesome.
2: And I think, too, um, one thing to note is that a lot of churches are missing that follow-up piece. You know, I mean, I know I used to dread when it was that week where they would look for all the volunteers and they would put this insert, you know, in the worship folder that would say, here's all the areas that we have opportunities for service. And I used to be like so nervous about it because it would have worship and it would be like, here are the areas. And I knew that if people signed up that I had to put them through that process because it's hard, you know, when you're really opening yourself up like that. But I come across churches sometimes that either they get unsolicited people or or it's something like that but they get people volunteers wanting to plug in and they never follow up they don't follow through and so you're you're losing those people you know what i mean they're not going to stay they're not going to feel love but i love what you're saying natalie that it's a process of not just telling them this isn't going to work But A, you spent the time to see if it was going to work. And B, you're then making sure that they get plugged in somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's key. That's a big missing piece for a lot of places.
3: And I think it's important for worship leaders to not feel alone in that process. So even if you're part of a small church, there has to be one other person. If you don't have a team, if it's just you, there has to be one other person on that staff who would partner with you mm-hmm. to sit with you during those times of those, inner you know, those auditions or evaluations and to kind of be a source of support for you. So you have somebody to bounce off. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Mm-hmm. Cause I know not everybody has a team of worship leaders to be able to do this with a new life. Yeah. We sit down with all, you know, all six and seven of us, as well as our, as our um, executive pastor, are sitting and listening to all of these people getting evaluated so we have more voices than just ours telling yeah. them. So when you're the sole worship leader and you don't have anybody else, it's hard to be the one making that final decision. Mm-hmm. So I would say definitely, as you're going into evaluations um, or auditions, to make sure that you, if not, bring in other worship leaders from the community to join you and to sit on a panel with you so you're not the only person having to carry this weight. Mm-hmm. Because it does, it's heavy when you have to tell people no.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Absolutely. I hate
1: hate hate telling
3: people
2: no. Yeah, it is the worst.
3: And I, I mean, we've been told no, and I think that's what you know. Let's go back to brave for a second. You know, when you have a healthy community that is constantly speaking life over you, hearing a no is a lot easier.
1: True. When you know the people really care. When about you
3: know you the people you. really care. Or if you have this community and an outside voice from that community says no, even then, you know you have value and worth because people are yeah. speaking life to you. So my suggestion for all worship leaders and pastors and writers is, and songwriters is to always have a community of people that are cheering you on mm-hmm. so that on hard days when you hear more no's than yes— yeah. That you have these people to go back to and to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit and for us to be able to, to remind each other who we are and whose we are mm-hmm. so that those no's don't sting. They're always going to sting, but you know that we don't feel quite so alone in that process.
1: Yeah. And, and seeing the no's as redirection. Yeah. Not like... It's know. over. No. And, you know, I think deep down people clearly know what God's gifted them for mm-hmm. what he's given them. So if you can accept that, you know, alongside of course there will be times when you know what you're gifted in and there are still doors that are closing because that that does happen too. Not every door is supposed to be open even in your gifting area. Right. And that's a lot of times God's will also. So
3: Mhm. Yeah, is that whole his protection over us is not rejection. It's just not yet. And yeah. And if you ask worship leaders, most of us have had seasons where we've been hidden, mm-hmm. where we had gifts and abilities that a church needed or that an organization needed, and we weren't seen. And that's hard to not be seen. But in hindsight, we can look back now and say, oh, I wasn't being ignored. The Lord just wasn't lifting His hand off of me because He had something different. Right. Um, and that's a gift, too. So. Oh, yeah. Definitely.
1: Definitely. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having having me. Your heart and just your perspective is great. And I know, you know, that the Lord has worked mightily in your life and there's a lot more to come. So thank you. And
3: thankfully, we'll be there to watch it. Oh, I'm so thankful <laughs> and for you. Right you. <laughs> yeah. <are> <laughs> yes, for
2: sure. How can Not people sure. find you on social and follow what you're doing?
3: You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm i pretty active um, on Facebook and Instagram. Those are the two that I'm on the most. I'm under Natalie Thomas Runyon on Facebook, and I think just under Natalie underscore Runyon on Instagram. It's R U N I O N. I am. Loving the blogs that we're doing with Brave, and yes, then you're
1: gonna be helping some more with that. Yeah, too, right? doing that, and um,
3: I don't know. In terms of music, I feel like right now that the Lord is allowing me to partner with some pretty great people in writing, and I don't know what's gonna happen with that if I trust Him for it, and so I'm just gonna keep. Grinding away at that, and um, but my real true goal is to give myself an age. Like I, I feel like as I go into that age of forty, that the Lord's really going to use me to start to train up the next generation of worship mm-hmm. leaders and writers, and to speak life over them because they'll do greater things than we mm-hmm. will do. And so I just get to watch and be part of that. So that's, that's exciting. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you.
1: Okay, well, we'll have you back again. We're Thanks! Natalie update. Yeah. Next time. <laughs> For yeah. sure. Thanks, guys.
2: Yeah. All right, you guys connect with us at braveworship.com, facebook.com, slash braveworship, Instagram braveworship, and all the different ways. We'll see you soon.
0: You've been listening to the Brave Worship Podcast with Dove Award-winning songwriter Chrissy Nordhoff and worship leader and music pastor Mary Beth Dodd. Visit braveworship.com forward slash free song and sign up for the email list to get updates on all the latest Brave Worship events, conferences, and retreats. Plus, get free songs to use in your next worship service, complete with chord chart and track. Also, find out how you can join Chrissy and Mary Beth in person at the next Brave Worship conference. Simply visit braveworship.com forward slash conference to learn more.
4: The times I've grown most as a songwriter are the times I've had mentors showing me the way. If you're looking to grow as a songwriter, we're now accepting applications for our Worship Songwriter Mentorship. Now it's available only a few times each year. The Worship Songwriter Mentorship is a songwriting intensive that will help you craft impactful worship songs. It's a course created by Dove Award winning and Grammy nominated, uh, drum roll here please, <laughs> our founder, pro songwriter Chrissy Nordoff. It's a small group community, and it's led by other songwriters over the course of nine weeks. It's an intensive course and a small group co-writing environment, and that means you'll be added to a special group of about 12 writers, give or take. Each group is led by experienced songwriters, some of them my dear, dear friends, and I've even gotten to lead a group or two. Rachel here, by the way. We love the church, and we love to champion fellow worship songwriters just like yourself. In this mentorship, you'll learn how to write songs for you and your congregation, You'll go deeper in your intimacy with Jesus. You'll get the tools needed to help craft songs more easily and never run out of creative ideas. Okay, I know it sounds too good to be true, but trust me, this course is a game changer. You'll learn how to leverage your unique songwriting personality and connect with other like-minded writers in a meaningful way. Truly, I can't think of another course, group of people, community that has impacted my songwriting the way that this mentorship has. If you're wanting to take the next steps in your songwriting journey, then apply now at the link in our show notes. We hope to see you there.